Welcome to the Made for People series on the Better Future podcast. I'm Mark Bergen, the chair of the Driven by Design Award programs, and today I'm speaking with Peter Bainhog, one of the creators of the Rockquiz and Wilfred. There's a good chance you don't know Peter, but you'll definitely know his work. We have a chat about music, TV, entertainment, and over the last years, Peter has become the alternative format expert, and his COVID response has been no different. G'day, Peter. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Mark. Good, yeah. good to see you again. It's been a long it time. Good to see you. But Peter and I have actually had really, it's like 20 years and there's been two contacts. I think there might have been a couple of emails in between somewhere. One of us didn't reply or whatever. But we're here today to talk about the idea of new formats of TV. And the reason that Peter's here is because Peter's been involved with some huge innovations when it's come up to TV over the last 20 years. Many of you will have seen his name. It might be familiar to you through the uh, close to 200 times it's come up on Rock Quiz and the, in the titles there. If you're a Wilford fan, you also would have seen him credited there and a whole bunch of other places. But, Peter, we're going to talk about 20 years back and five years forward. And you're doing some stuff at the moment, which is, you know, right at this moment where COVID is requiring us to rethink things dramatically, you've got on the go, you've got um, uh, Rock Quiz's Brian at home. You've also got some memo musical stuff that you're going and doing there. And I, the reason I reached out was when I saw Brian Nankervis name check you, I just went, hang on, it's Two Men and the Dog that's putting this show on. This is phenomenal. We have to have a talk because a normal rock quiz crew is like 15 or 20 people and he yeah. did actually Two Men and the Dog. So tell me a little bit more about how you've, in, you know, kept the live show flavour and bringing that live event into my lounge room because it is astounding and you're consistent at doing it. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, the, the way that the At Home with Brian thing started was within days really of, of lockdown, I started to look at what was going on and what could be going on and I reached out to a few people in production companies and uh, to, to look at what the technology was. I discovered Zoom, obviously, very quickly. And I went back to all my compadres and said, look, you know, I reckon we can do, you know, we should be owning the space. We should be doing something here. You know, we, we Saturday night's our thing. It has been for a long time. We should be um, trying to do some kind of rock with live thing. And everyone's going, well, you know, there's a lag. We can't have music. And um, Brian's going, well, you know, it's, it's Julie and I really need to work off a crowd. You know, we, we can't, it's going to be really hard to maintain it. And I go, it doesn't matter. People are very forgiving. They, you know, look at what's happening on the news now. We're seeing, you know, dodgy shots of, of, that you would never have been acceptable on the news two years ago uh, are acceptable now because of where we're at and mm. because we are in lockdown. So let's just embrace that and, and not worry about the technological perfections of it. And we, we kind of talked about it for a couple of weeks and I really couldn't get everyone on side for it. But Brian said, look, you know, let's just do something else. And Kenny said, yeah, look, just, you know, let's just do at home with Brian and you guys run with it and go for it. And, you know, it's nothing to do with Rockwiz, but it is kind of to do with Rockwiz. So um, we did and, and Brian and I sat down and went, well, how do we do this? What do we do? And we figured that Zoom would be the best way to do it, the best 
platform to use. It's it's um, it's become just the thing. It's like Google. You know, you Google something, you have it now. You zoom it, mm. and um, so that's what we did. We just sat down and said, "Well, who do we want to talk to?" And we made a hit list of the people that Brian wanted to to chat to, and and basically called them up and got them on board and rolled it out. So what I love about that is the, and often creators do this because I'm trying to observe what you've done and you've just done your thing, that you've understood the human moment of what Rock Quiz is about, which is this live experience. And, you know, for the last 15-odd years you've been putting this show, which was a pre-record but it was in a a live format. You were giving me these live acts and live trivia in my lounge room. And that, and what you've extended there is the same thing. You're bringing Brian in with the people that he knows into my lounge room. And you're 100% right. It's Nobody actually cares if it's the technical quality that a broadcast news service would be thinking about. It's like, give me the content, give me that human moment because we're all at home and we're a bit hungry. But then as well as doing the rock quiz, you know, derivation, which is almost like the uh, the artist who's doing a solo project out of the band, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. That sense there. You've also then, because of your networks, you've gone and put your your finger into the pie of what's happening at the Memo Music Hall, and that fascinated me because uh, listeners, when when we went and we had our pre conversation for this, you shared with me that you were getting something like four or five times the number of paid audience to the Memo Music Hall because it was streaming. And there's a moment which is people are hungry, maybe just as logistics doesn't get them there to the to the venue. And that's got to have something which rolls on into the future as well. Well, I think so. And, and you know, I think that there's a lot of caution right here, right now, as, as we are at the end of May and looking at, at restrictions lifting in, in June. But I think there's a lot of caution out there. And, and I, we all know that, that kind of live music and the mosh pit is going to be dead for a long time, shall we say. Um, uh, and, and, you know, this next lifting of restrictions will have 50 people in a, in a venue and then 100 people in a venue. Most venues just cannot exist on that number um, of, of patrons. They, they need multiples of that. They need two, three, four, five thousand people before they are really um, able to, to, to sustain the economy that has been driving Melbourne's live music scene for, for, for so long. And there's a lot of concern, I think, with people about, well, what happens when we do get to that point and is, what's the social distancing going to be? So that kind of inspired this, this notion that, well, we can do all this and we can stream life to people's homes. And, and, and I think that there's been a proliferation of, of shows from Delivered Live to the state of Victoria to the, the fabulous Isolate. Isolate was the first cab off the rank and, and, and I just thought that was absolutely wonderful what, what Emily Owen pulled together. And, 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 you know, over one weekend, the first weekend, 80 acts, and, you know, 10 minutes sets all day. It was just brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, so these things have become, you know, for us at home, we've now got the ability to be entertained in our home rather than go to a gig. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that this is kind of changing the nature of where entertainment can go. There's been 
not a lot of music on TV for an awful long time. Um, you know, rock was really, we, we, we were lucky in a lot of ways in that we had uh, pure music on TV as opposed to Spicks and Specs. And Spicks and Specs was, you know, we used to characterise it as Spicks and Specs was a comedy show, uh, sorry, a, yeah, a, a comedy show about music, whereas Rock was, was a, a music show that happened to be funny now again. And... Um, but the music was always very pure in rock was and and I was always staggered just by the by at how two people could get up after playing trivia and then perform a song that they'd rehearsed two or three times during the day at the end of that all that trivia you know frippery <laughs> um, frivolity and and turn and, and make these enormously great pieces of music. It was staggering uh, week and, after week. And, you know, if I, if I go think possibly one of my favourite moments out of all of that is Broderick Smith and Prudence Hodgkins. And, the, and they do the MGMT time. And, and, and I just went and I saw this and I went, I think Broad's actually nailed this better than the than the original, you know. And 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 you go, these guys have been playing a quiz game, and then they came up and nailed it, nailed a track, which is an awesome moment. But you know, there's countless others there as well. That that's definitely my choice, and that's one of the great things is that you wind up then with people having moments that they have shared together and looked at their partner and said. You know what? That, that that does it for me. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. Well, just to, just on that anecdotally, just to just to pick up on that, that was actually Brod's idea to do that song, um, and it was not so much his idea, but it was his son's idea for him to do that song. That song was less than six months old when when he when they covered it, but his son is now in one of the hottest bands in the country, King is in the Lizard Wizard. So it was him that inspired Broad to pick it up and when we mentioned it to Patience, she said, oh, I love that song. That's great. Yeah, let's do that. So it just gelled perfectly. Yeah, and and that's the thing about live, isn't it? You know, because yeah. I think uh, I think they get a couple of times to go rehearse it with the band uh, uh, before uh, before the show, and then they've got to nail it on on the day, and they do such a brilliant job there. And that, and that live moment where you know we've got one time to do it, and there's that that nervous energy that exists between the the, the people who are singing the duet, the band who are listening, and. Every time I, I see one of those, you know, duets, you can see there's five or six musicians who are just working their butts off, but they are delivering something to us. And that's that live moment. Yep. And the rawness of what you're doing with with Brian on a Saturday night is <laughs> also has that same rawness there, that you know that he's, he's on a wire, there's no safety net, there's... You know, bad Wi-Fi, people are dropping out, but he's pushing on, he's keeping the show going. There's no director actually telling somebody to, you know, speed up or actually to somebody to stretch. This is as live as you can get. It's exactly the same as being in a club or a pub with you, but on my lounge. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's great. Now, you shared with me that the memo, that I want to go back to the memo musical. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I got off there. No, 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 don't, don't be sorry at all. This is, this is exactly what we're meant to do. We're meant to have a rambling conversation and somehow stitch it together. So memo musical has got a capacity, what, somewhere between 200, 300 people that you could fit in there. I, I think it's licensed for 450. 
Okay, so it's quite it's a big room. Okay. Yeah. So four fifty, but then they're getting somewhere at least double that for some of these gigs and double even, to triple, yeah. And like that's just amazing. Now they're, yeah. lose, they're losing some of the alcohol revenue, but they're definitely getting some of the venue leverage out of that. So tick, you know, there's upsides everywhere. But you mentioned to me that there was some time shifting that was being done where people who were, you know, they should have had some performances that were meant to be happening as concerts and then they were actually looking at it saying, well, why don't we go do it from our hometown, the memo, and stream that into markets. And, and that to me is just fantastic that people are beginning to see this as a platform that gives them new opportunities because the COVID thing is with us for at least another 12 months, if not 24 months. And it's great to see that that new format is now giving options to musicians to go do things. Yeah, well, uh, uh, case in point was um, Black Sorrows. We, we haven't confirmed it yet, but we're looking at doing, and we did Black Sorrows at Memo for Australia, and it was great and the show was fantastic. Uh, and um, they cancelled a tour of Europe in um, August, September. So very soon after, uh, we started talking about, well, why don't we do one at a time that would be able to stream into um, Germany, um, which is one of their biggest international markets, Germany and Scandinavia, at a time when they could watch it. Uh, so, so that's what we are now looking at doing, live streaming it back into there, uh, back into Europe. As a, you know, I think it's a really smart thing to, to be able to do. One of the other ones that we were looking at was a show that would have had some appeal to West Coast American audiences. So we were looking at doing two versions, a matinee version at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which would have played into uh, evening LA time, and, and then a, a, a evening Saturday, and then a traditional 7.30 show for the local Australian audience. And, and, you know, we looked at also, well, why don't we just record it and replay it? But there are rights issues involved in doing that. Um, once you actually record it and replay it, it's a, it's a whole different set of rights that you have to clear. And, in fact, it was easier to do it twice than, than incur all those rights costs. So I'm interested with the... With that Black Sorrows, you know, they, uh, Joe Camilleri and the crew have got a lot of experience being on, on stage with cameras and they know how to go work cameras. And then I look at a really young act like the Horns of Leroy who, who have also been on the memo and helping them to go actually have the absent audience experience. You know, if you've been used to television studios, you're used to performing there. If you haven't had that experience, that must be difficult as you're trying to go build the format up to actually work out how do you coach them into that gap of audience moment. Well, well, you know what? It, it's actually it was harder with Joe than it is with a less experienced audience because a uh, less experienced act because Joe is so used to having feeding off an audience and having a big audience to play with that oh, having hey. no audience was kind of unusual for him. And there's there's TV which is, and he's got a lot of experience on TV, but but generally there's kind of another vibe going on and there's some, there's, Interesting. there's but, but when you were in, a, in an empty hall and you are only playing to basically four other people in the room, it's quite a different experience. And I like, and I, I, I said after the first one that we, we did, which was um, Kate Severano, I said to the guys that we were working with, I said, this is much more like, eavesdropping on a recording session 
It's like being, you know, eavesdropping on AAV or Metropolis or, or record plant or whatever and and listening to that because it's a much more kind of intimate feel than mm. than a kind of full-on hey everybody kind of gig which is what most of the acts were used to so the younger acts are actually really smart and cluey and get it whereas the having said that one of the other ones that was absolutely magical was um renee gaya because you know being a self-confessed difficult woman she, she she's not you know, she has had a, um, uh, a difficult relationship with some of her audiences in the past, right. and the fact that there was no audience uh, just made it magical for her because there was nobody to feed off, there was no hecklers, there was no, there was no vibe, there was just her in the room. And that was really that intimacy of that uh, performance was, was much more akin to a recording session than, than a real, than a gig per se. And- and so I'm really glad that we spent some time talking about some of those different dimensions there because you wouldn't immediately think those circumstances existed. And that's why it's important to get in, to go experiment, to stumble your way through it, to understand understand what's there. I also re- I remember the year telling me about how Rock Quiz began and it was, you know, more than three years in development before uh, before you actually got your commission for shows that you that you recorded. And I remember when I started the Design Awards, it took me three years to go get the thing up to a stage that was ready. So I want to go back to 2005, 2010, three years in development was actually the dues you had to pay. Then the tech startup came 2007 to 2014 where you know, apps were everywhere. And about three months was about the time a company went from zero to hero. <laughs> yeah. yep. And now we've got about three weeks from yep. COVID coming. And that comes because the tools are so much better for us. And I think if I go back to the 90s with people recording albums in their home studios or their bedrooms, it went from crap into fantastic pretty quickly. So we've got that we know that there's a shift here. What do you think is likely to happen as we go through the rebound phase? Because, you know, this new abnormal is at least 24 months is what most people are planning for. In this next 24 months, what do you think we're going to see? Is it more uh, of people getting relaxed about the idea of having live in their lounge at home rather than live in the lounge bar? What do you? What's your thought? Well, well naturally, I I like to think so because that's that's uh, where I want to be um, uh, focusing for the next uh, couple of years. For some time, I've I've kind of wondered why television. Uh, and music have not had the relationship that they had during the countdown era, for instance, or or the kind of the night moves era, when, or even the MTV era to a certain mm-hmm. extent. But I think people got very jaded with MTV, and I think that there was so much money put into making clips that it that kind of lost a lot of its integrity. Uh, music kind of lost a bit of its vibe, uh, not the music but the visuals, and I think people just because music is inherently an audio experience, the visual side of it is secondary and always has been. And then they kind of pushed too far with MTV. And then more recently, there have been some very big concerts like Beyonce and Coachella and, you know, massive concerts. And, they, and they've, I think that sitting at home watching one of those big concerts, you don't really relate to it in the same way. Uh, and then one of the, things that I saw last year was Springsteen on Broadway and it was much more intimate and it was much closer mm. and it felt better. 
and and you kind of knew that he was playing to a few hundred people, um, but it just felt a lot better. And I think that this that the relationship between a a viewer at home and what they're watching on TV, certainly in a musical sense, um, that intimacy is is really what what's driving it. And I think that that, that we've seen that with with um, as I said, with isolated, delivered live, and all of these things, where you are seeing people in a much more intimate environment, making music, and I think that there is something to that. There's something there to move forward with, and I think that the notion now that's happened in the past few months, where people are suddenly watching music on TV because they can't go out and see it live. Mm. I think that that's giving them a good alternative, and I think that you know that there will be more people certainly of an older generation who will go you know what i'm not gonna drive to wherever park stand up the back because i can't get a seat pay for expensive drinks risk being breath tested on the way home because i may have had one too many Mm -hmm. because i can't you know and and i and really the sound wasn't that great and if i can pay to watch that gig at home and i can sit and have yeah, sure, let's have another bottle of wine and not have to worry about it. I think that that's a, a kind of an attractive option for certainly, a, as I said, an older generation and, you know, who, are, who would probably be much more comfortable with Heritage Acts. And, and, but, you know, having said that, a lot of the younger acts are embracing the technology and loving it, and, and I don't know whether it's going to take them in the future. None of us want to see live music gigs finished and end but it's how we get back to that and when we get back to what we had at the end of last year or the beginning of this year we just don't know I mean I know that there are there are venues closing down and being sold and all over town whether it's Caravan Music Club or or Spotted Mallard or Big Mouth or Gasometer they're all in a period of change and you know that's because of the economic situation and I don't know really what's going to happen in 12 months' time, 24 months' time. Melbourne is such a vibrant music city and that culture that we've had has been so wonderful to watch and it's been there since the 70s, you know. We've had it since the 70s and and it's really just kept on and maintained but now it's kind of in this period where it's gone down what happens? How do we maintain that? How do we keep it going in the future? And what will people be able to experience? And I think that a lot of people are going to be less comfortable in going out and spending time at a gig in close proximity to other people. So they'll be much more relaxed about sitting at home and watching something on on TV and and having the same experience at home and being able to buy a ticket, which is what we're doing at Nemo. We're trying to make that experience like a traditional old school gig economy. You buy a ticket, you turn up to your TV, you watch it. It's not going to stream again. It's live. It's 100% live. That's it. You've had your experience. And I'm a bit, I really applaud what's going on with shows like um, Delivered Live and the State of Victoria I do feel to a certain extent like they are because they're streamed live and the option is there to, to, to anyone and the option is there to pay money to support act and they, the acts are being paid at this stage by the Victorian government to perform and then money goes to support act and can come back. 
But to me, it's a bit like asking Missy Higgins to take her little Nord down to Burke Street Mall and put her head out with Support Act on it and um, playing music and you can give money to Support Act or you can just walk past and enjoy the music. That, that to me, is, is the... the the allegory, I suppose. <laughs> well, but I suppose it's, you know, I've been really fortunate in recent years of being in London, Paris, New York, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Hong Kong, Shanghai. It's like lots of places where there's different live music cultures. The one that I'm, I'm most astounded by is the tips jar that goes around in Berlin in clubs. And then yeah. I spent time talking to the acts at the end of the night and, they, and I've had a chat about the tips jar, and they said, look, when we've got a tips jar, we actually wind up getting more than if we actually had a cover charge. And then they turn around and they say, oh, look, this club, the owner's taking a, a, a cut off the top of the tips jar. This club, it's 100% for us. And when, when I reflect back, you go, well, look, drinks are a different price in those two different clubs. So, you know, we know people are monetizing different ways. But the idea that people can actually go, and I think the first band that we saw was Radiohead, which was pay us how much you feel yeah, with yeah. rainbows, and, and they and they absolutely cashed in there. Yeah. Um, you know, different ways of monetizing, different ways of people who have high means actually being generous, people who have scant means actually not feeling that they're actually, you know, resting on or borrowing from others. You know, we're, I think we're going to see some very different understandings of how we can share in a music experience and different ways. But I'm you know, looking forward to dinner parties, so doing a, a memo musical dinner party where we know you know, Missy is going to be on at a certain time or the Black Sorrows or the Horns are going to be on. And and it's like, come round, you've got your five or ten friends who actually like the same music as you, you've got your sound system on, you've got your projector going and you're just enjoying it. Sorry, Brian's got bumped there. Who's in there if it's on Saturday? No. But you know exactly what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Have have these shared moments which which are inherently live and therefore bring up the excitement that we feel when we're at a live event. But even if you're by yourself somewhere, you can be together apart with people because you're using some of this technology to go connect on that. I don't think it's the technology. I think it's the human moment that people are after. Absolutely. And that's what you've been absolutely brilliant to go to go bring over in these different formats. Now, we haven't spoken about one of your most interesting projects, the Wilfred Project. <laughs> now, yep. Viewers, if you don't know Wilfred, have a think of how much you, you, you love the idea of Fleabag, but think Fleabag that was done 10 or 15 years before. Well worthwhile trying to track down uh, Wilfred and go have a look at it. It's politically incorrect and it's able to be politically incorrect because it's a man in a dog suit. So how did you stumble across that and how long did it take you to develop from seeing it to actually it becoming a thing? Well, I think it was... 2001 or maybe two that I was at the St Kilda Film Festival, uh, which is all short films, and it played there. And I think it won. It won. It maybe won at Trotfest as well. But it was just. It was just such a great idea. It was a brilliant idea. And at the after party, I got talking to Adam Zwa, and he, he said, "What do you reckon, dude?" Do you, do you, do you think this could extend into like a TV show? You like, you know, you guys at Renegade are doing TV. Would you be interested in picking it up? And I went, you know what? I reckon it could. There's something really here. There really is. 
So we fairly soon afterwards basically got a slab of beer and a bunch of us and sat around and told dog stories and stories of our pets and the stupid things and the funny things that they do and just how how like humans they are. And then from a lot and a lot of those anecdotes that came out on the first session ended up in the script for the first series. And you know there was there was obviously a much bigger idea there. But Adam and, and Jason basically took that on and 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 kind of ran with it and and developed a series. What we did was we turned in order to be able to sell it to a, a network, we, we invested a bit of money in in actually taking it from being that initial five-minute short film and we extended it out to be, I think it was like 25 minutes. So we, we went back to the location that was used, same dog suit, same cast, everything, and we just basically added to the story from the from the first thing. And that was, in fact, the first episode, pretty much that. And then the rest of the series kind of came after that. But it was it's not really a, a very easy sell to walk into a television network and say, it's a series about a bong-smoking dog. It's a three-way relationship between the dog's owner and her new boyfriend and dog kind of gets in the middle and it's a kind of an existential thing and not an easy sell. But but uh, fortunately, Matt Campbell, who at the time was the um, program director or whatever it was at, at SBS, got it straight away and um, went, yeah, let's have some of this. What I really like about about that program is that it's not everybody's cup of tea. No. And, and it's a and very special segment that will enjoy it, but they will enjoy it at a hundred times what they enjoy other programs that are out. So they're so loyal. They're, they're, they're rusted on. They just want the next episode. They're going to build the culture. And that's what's great about it because as we go into the future, we're going to have more programs which are specialised and they need to appeal in a very deep human way that isn't being met elsewhere. And if you can, if you can solve an unmet human need, you're basically a designer. So you probably haven't used it. <laughs> That's true. Designer, yeah. But what you're doing is you're creating human moments that solve an unmet human need, and that's exactly what happens uh, with Wilfred there. It's what you've been doing with these other programs. And that, to me, is phenomenal to see that there's actually a likelihood that we're going to see TV as a leverage device, streaming as a, as a leverage device to go help music and other content forms get to people. Well, I think that the streamers in particular are the market that are, that are really driving everything at the moment. I think that free-to-air TV is, you know, in many, in many ways it's kind of had its day. It's, the, it's really you, you use free-to-air TV for current affairs, live news, live sport, and, and big event, The Voice, Australia's Got Talent, whatever those, those kind of shows are. You're not really watching edgy, niche television so much you're not watching the flea bags and you're not watching killing eves on on uh, abc now but but you know there's there's a lot of kind of niche stuff now that's being made and and sure wilfred really did break a lot of broke the mold and in, in, in that way it was like oh wow this is really out there but but people loved it and the americans loved it as well and jason went to america and of course did the four series over there which was essentially the same idea the same character but with a different whole whole different set of circumstances and, um, and the american link there is really important because on a whole americans don't get satire 
They don't no. get irony. But at the same time, America is the largest audience for satire and irony in the world. And you go, what? How's that work? Well, I think we're seeing that with the COVID thing, which is their their mortality rate by head of population is actually lower than many countries. It just is there's so many goddamn many of them. So, so you know, using broadcast media to go get out to a mass audience for awareness, but then the consumption happening on a more direct consumption using streaming services, I think is the cocktail that we're looking at and finding out where that balance is, is going to be where the magic is in the coming five years. Yeah. And this, and also social media platforms. Uh, I mean, have you seen Sarah Cooper? No, hang on. Sarah Cooper. No, what's Sarah Cooper? Sarah Cooper is the cleverest satirist in America right now. Mm-hmm. She is doing lip sync TikToks to Donald Trump's speeches. And they are it's brilliant satire. It's absolutely brilliant. And she's just suddenly gone from and she's a comedy writer and a comedy performer, but she but by doing these little TikToks, she's just gone crazy. And the power of earned media, the idea that people are passing on, you've just done that here. This will go out to everybody who sees it. We'll say there'll be a link to, to Sarah Cooper here. That's the most important thing. Now, Peter, I need to turn around and actually wind this up because otherwise yep. we, we, we could be at that scene of just two guys just <laughs> letting our tongues wag a bit. This has been fantastic. I'm going to check in with you in a period of time. We're not going to leave it as long as our last conversation. <laughs> but thank you for coming out from behind the curtain and actually talking about what you've done, what you're doing, and the idea that even the man who's predicted the future many times when it comes to entertainment <laughs> music is still saying, I'm not 100% sure, and that's an important message for everyone. And just as we wind up here, the sun's bursting through into your camera, so you're almost just, oh, there you oh are. Oh, my God, sorry, there you go. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> and that must be God telling us it's time to go actually rack, get this you know, gig wrapped up. So thank you very much for your time. And, uh, Pleasure. Sorry, and, I didn't notice that. <laughs> no, that's fine. There'll be some more links there, particularly Sarah Cooper. Again, Peter, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you, Mark, and thanks for the opportunity. And I'm sorry the sun just burst through into the camera there. It's at least it's at least it's sunny. Actually, we kind of did the perfect live thing right at the end, didn't we? There you go. There you go.